Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, we're going to jump into week number two of the series we started last week called 12. We're looking at the original followers of Jesus. We're looking at what we call the 12 disciples. As we get into this week, week number two, uh, this message is going to look like two two different things uh, that you might be familiar with. The first thing it's going to look like is a jukebox. So this week, we're going to be playing the hits. There's not a ton about the person we're going to talk about today that most of us probably don't know. Even if you don't have much of a background in church, there's a pretty good chance you've heard of this guy before. And if you've grown up in church, you probably know most, if not all of uh, the accounts or stories that we're going to discuss today. But just like a jukebox, sometimes it's good to hear the hits. Sometimes it's good to hear things repeated. And maybe something that we'll say today and the way that we're going to present it or hearing it again for the who knows how many of time, uh, maybe something will just click that you've never thought of or considered before. That's my hope, that even as we play the hits on this jukebox, you'll still be encouraged and inspired as you follow Jesus. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the Apostle Peter in week two of this series, Follow. Week two of our series is about Peter. And so as we talk about Peter and his pursuit of following Jesus, his journey of discipleship, we're going to see the second thing that this message is going to be like is what's called a compliment sandwich. You know, you know what that is? It's where you're trying to correct someone, but the best way to do it is first you compliment them, you say something positive, Then you get to the negative part in the middle, the meat of the sandwich, what you want corrected or changed, and then you end with another quick positive encouragement to them. So you have the compliment sandwich, positive, negative, positive. Well, as we look at Peter today, we're going to look at four main words that describe um, his life of following Jesus, his, his years of being a disciple of Jesus. And they're going to be sort of in that sort of compliment sandwich, if you will. Uh, the bookends, the, the bread, if you will, are going to be the positive, two positive words about Paul or Peter, not Paul. Uh, and then the two middle words are going to be negative attributes about Peter. So, Positive, negative, negative, positive. That's the route that we're going to take as we look at the disciple Peter in week two of the series follow. So let's get it kicked off here with the very first word that we would use to describe Peter, and that is simply that Peter was bold. There's really no other way to to say it. Peter was bold. One of the main ways that we see this is in Matthew chapter 14, a very famous portion of scripture. Maybe the most famous thing or one of the most famous things about Peter is in Matthew 14. So Jesus has just fed 5,000 plus people 
with five loaves of bread and two fish. We'll come back to this story in detail next week as we look at Peter's little brother, Andrew. Okay, that lets you know where we're going next week. So Jesus has just performed a miracle, and what he does at the end of the day is he sends the disciples out on a boat to go across the lake, and he says, hey, I'll catch up with you guys later. I'm going to stop and pray and kind of recharge the batteries and take a break. So the disciples are in a boat crossing this lake by themselves. As Matthew records, he was there in the boat, so as he's writing here, he, re- he records that middle of the night, they're in the middle of the lake, and a huge storm comes a- up in the middle of this lake. And so as they're trying just basically to get through the storm, just survive, get to the other side of the lake, somebody looks out and they see something weird in the middle of the lake. And as they kind of focus on what they think they're seeing, it looks like a person in the middle of the lake, not in a boat, but just kind of standing there, walking there. It's weird. So Matthew records that their first instinct was, it's a ghost. They're kind of spooked out here. And uh, you probably would be too. I probably would be too. But what happens next is, is what really affects Peter and shows his boldness. Here's what happens. Let's pick it up here uh, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. So they think they see a ghost. But it says, but Jesus spoke to them at once. So clearly it's not a ghost. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Really famous account here in the life of Peter. And what's unfortunate is that a lot of the time, Peter gets a ton of grief for this story. What we tend to focus on is he sank, his lack of faith. He got his eyes on the wind and on the waves, and he just got so overcome with anxiety and with fear that he began to sink. He doubted Jesus had to save him. That's unfortunate because Really, what should be at the forefront of this story is the fact that Peter was bold. Peter, maybe he lacked faith at some point, but the faith that he had at the beginning of this story is more faith than I've probably ever had, if I'm honest, okay? He he doesn't wait for Jesus to tell him to come. He volunteers. He says, again, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the lake, He says, okay, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come and walk to you on the water in the middle of the storm at three in the morning. And Jesus says, sure, come on. And Peter does it. None of these other dudes in the boat have courage or faith or or even think to do that. None of them say, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. They don't join him. He's all alone, all by himself. He shows incredible faith, incredible boldness to even think he could do this, to actually climb over the side of the boat. And he starts walking on the water, something that is not 
possible. And the, again, the water's not calm. It's in the middle of the night in a huge storm, waves, wind, crashing. It's just an incredible thing to consider. Yeah, then he sinks and Jesus saves him, but he was bold. He, he had the faith to even think of doing something like that. And then he actually did it, at least for a moment. But it's not just this one thing I want to focus on. He makes a claim later on about Jesus that is also incredibly bold. We find this in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus and his disciples, they're having a conversation, and Jesus gets personal. He, he gets really into their psyche, into their thinking, into their really philosophy about who he is. And he asks them a question, Mark eight twenty seven. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Think back to when you were in school. In school, there are two types of students in a classroom. There is one type of student, a majority of students, I would say, who don't ever like to raise their hands to answer a question. You know, you might think, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but if I'm wrong, I'm going to feel stupid and look stupid, and I just don't want to embarrass myself, so I'll let somebody else take take the bullet. I'll let somebody, and if they're right, good for them. They look smart, they feel smart, they probably are smart, and they were a little bit braver than me. That's what most students are. Then there are other students, a select few of them, who will always raise their hand. They always are going to try to guess, even if they don't know They'll guess, and especially, this is true, uh, if they have a question. Some students will never ask a question, even though teachers say or your boss will say there's no such thing as a stupid question, sometimes that's not true. And so to play it safe, most students, most people won't raise their hands to ask questions. But Peter is one of those types of students. So Jesus gets personal here with his disciples, and he, he asks, well, who, who, what are you hearing about me? What's the press say? What are the headlines saying? What are you hearing in town? And they say, well, some people say that you're this guy, or you're like this guy, or they have this opinion. And then he gets really personal. He says, but who do you say that I am? And of course, who's the first person to answer that question? Ooh, ooh, pick me. I know. It's Peter. And he makes a pretty heavy claim. He makes a pretty lofty claim. He makes a bold claim. He says, I don't know about everybody else. I don't even know about all these guys, but I believe you are the Messiah. You're the one that we've waited for for so long, for decades, for hundreds of years. I believe that you're him. He just comes out and says it right away. He doesn't say, well, maybe, or I've I've been thinking, or I'm fairly convinced. He says, you are. Here's who you are. Boom, done. That's a big deal. That's a big claim. He's bold about this profession of faith. And it was key, really, to probably the rest of his time of following Jesus. He was bold. With his boldness comes a negative aspect of a similar sort of thing. And it's the second word that we might use to describe Peter. And that word is brash. You could definitely say Peter was brash, the more negative side of Peter. 
Peter has what we might call foot-in-mouth disease. Uh, he might be what we would call over-eager. Sometimes he's overconfident. Sometimes he forgets his place. He definitely does that here in one occasion in Mark chapter 8. So this is right after what we've just talked about. Who do you say that I am? Peter is bold in saying, you're the Messiah. Literally two verses later, here's what happens with Peter. Jesus began to tell them, his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Can you imagine the brashness of Peter here? He takes Jesus aside and basically says, Stop saying that, Jesus. He's like, Jesus, you got to calm down. You got to stop talking like that. You're scaring the children, Jesus. You're scaring some of these other guys. We don't want to hear you talk like that. Stop it. That's not going to happen. He, reprim- he pulls him aside to reprimand him. Maybe not the greatest idea. It seems like he forgot his place for a second. Jesus is like, I'm the one with the plan. I'm the one calling the shots. This is my mission, okay? You just stay in your lane, bro. And that's kind of what he does because here's the response of Jesus in the next verse, verse 33. He says, Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, and then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You know, there's a common phrase or saying when you're insulted or someone calls you a name, you know, you might say, well, I've been called worse. Can you imagine Jesus calling you Satan? (laughs) I mean, can you imagine this moment? Peter thinks that he's in the right and he could not be more wrong. Peter thinks that he needs to correct Jesus. He needs to pull him back to reality. And Jesus is like, Peter, stop doing that. You know, it's like Jesus is like, I can do this too. And he's like, Peter, you need to calm down. This is my mission. I know what I'm doing. You just need to watch and learn. You just need to sit down and stay in your lane. So he reprimands Peter. Peter was pretty brash. He was ready. He was eager. But, man, he got it wrong sometimes. And this is a key moment where that happens. There's another time where Peter's very brash with his words, with his emotions, with his just over-eagerness, and it comes at a really key time in the life of Jesus, a very key time in his, his time of following Jesus. It comes at the Last Supper, where Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. They've had this Last Supper, this meal together. It's a very somber moment, a very serious moment. It's really one of the last times that they'll be together, uh, and he's going to be arrested just in a few hours. So while they're going through this, this is in John chapter 13, Peter is very brash here, and here's what happens. John 13, verse 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Whoa. 
Peter makes a very, you would say it's a bold claim, but really it's a brash claim. He's again working out of emotion, acting out of emotion, speaking out of emotion. He's not thinking about the words that are actually coming out of his mouth. He's not actually hearing what he's saying. And that leads to really then a a third word about Peter that would describe him, that we really know him for, that's related to this, and that word is failed. Peter failed. He epically failed. So Peter makes this brash claim, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. I'm ready to give everything for you. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're you're not quite, you'll get there, but you're not quite ready for that just yet. Here's actually what Jesus says. So again, John 13, 37, Peter says, but why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. What does Jesus say? Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you ever know me, that you even know me. So Jesus sets Peter straight here, and he says, Peter, calm down. Stop putting your foot in your mouth. Stop making a fool of yourself. You're not ready yet. You're not willing to die for me. You think you are, you feel you are, you say you are, but you're not. And we know that what Jesus said came true just a few hours later. So what happens, he takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. They pray. Jesus agonizes over what he knows is about to happen in just a few short hours. And then in the garden, uh, a mob come to arrest him. And then he is taken to the high priest, the highest Jewish religious leader, taken to his home to go on trial for his life. John records that that uh, Peter and another disciple follow kind of far behind the mob, the crowd, so they can kind of see what's going on. And it says that the other disciple had sort of an inroad with some of the people at the high priest's house, so he and Peter get access to the basically the inner court of the house, kind of the front step of the high priest's home. That's as close as they're going to get, but that's where they get. They get access But as they are going through the gate, the gatekeeper looks at Peter and says, hey, you're not one of his followers, are you? You're not one of Jesus' men, are you? And Peter, without even thinking or blinking, says, nope, no problem, just coming through. I'm just curious, just want to see what's going on. Heard a commotion and just want to know, you know, what's, what's happening, want to be in the know. Just so easily, quickly, he denies knowing Jesus, just like Jesus said. Again, a couple hours ago, I'll die for you, and then without even thinking about it, denies even knowing him, just as Jesus predicted. And then while they're there, it says around a fire, waiting outside in the kind of the inner courts there, uh, courtyard, the front of the high priest's house, while Jesus is inside fighting for his life, on trial for his life, Peter's warming himself by the fire, it says, and all of a sudden somebody says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? I think... I don't know who you are. I forgot your name, but aren't you one of his key guys? And he says, no, what do you, I don't even know who this guy is. I'm just here like you are, curious about what's going on. Then it says one of the servants of the high priest said, 
Yes, you are. You're one of his followers. You were in the garden when he was arrested just now. You're absolutely one of his guys. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. Stop it. I don't even know who this guy is. And then like clockwork, John records right after that third denial, the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said. Peter made this claim that he wasn't able to back up, wasn't ready to back up. He failed Jesus. He wasn't even willing to defend that he even knew him, that he even followed him. He absolutely failed Jesus, his greatest shame of his entire life without a doubt. He failed him at his greatest time of need. When he needed support the most, everybody, including Peter, the bold, brash, you know, so surefire guy, I'm going to die for you, even Peter let him down. He failed Jesus. But Luckily, that doesn't end Peter's story. It doesn't even really define Peter's story because the fourth word that describes Peter is Peter was forgiven. Peter was forgiven. So after Jesus is on trial for his life, he, as we know, is accused of crimes he did not commit. He's condemned to death on a cross. He is crucified. He does die. He is buried. And then as we know, three days later, we just celebrated Easter a couple weeks ago, Jesus rises from the dead. He defeats sin on the cross, defeats death by rising from the dead. So then Jesus is kind of hanging around with his disciples for a few weeks. Right near the end of this time together, there's a really cool story in John chapter 21. I want to tell it briefly, because it connects last week's message with this week's. If you remember, uh, last week, the way that Peter and his brother Andrew and also James and John were called by Jesus was a miracle in a boat. We see this same miracle happen again at the end of their time with Jesus. So it says that the disciples are out fishing on a boat. Jesus is on the shore, and, but they don't know it's him. And he must be really far away or something, because here's what happens. He says, hey, guys, have you caught any fish tonight while you've been out fishing? And they say, nope, we've had no luck, dude, no luck at all, haven't caught a thing. So Jesus, who they still don't know it's him yet, he says, hey, why don't you take your nets and throw them on the other side of your boat? Just try that. Just see what happens. And they do it. And what happens is it says the nets are so full they're about to break. They can't even hardly get the fish in the boat. And at that moment, Peter remembers, hey, I remember a couple of years ago, this exact same thing happened where Jesus said, hey, throw your nets over here after we'd had no luck all night. And guess what? The same thing happened. So many fish, we can't even bring them all in. And he immediately knows that's Jesus on the shore. He jumps out of the boat and swims over to the shore and meets Jesus. And the disciples join them later and they actually have breakfast there on the beach together. So after this moment, Jesus takes Peter aside and has a life-changing, destiny-changing conversation with Peter. The conversation goes something like this. Jesus asks Peter a simple question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, oh, of course I love you. Jesus says then, feed my sheep. And then right on the heel of that a second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, uh... Yeah, I just answered that. Yeah, Jesus, of course I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then right on the heels of that a third time now, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, is, is this a gag? 
Are you losing your memory? Have you like hit your head or something? Do you have amnesia? What's, what's going on? It's Jesus, of course, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. What Jesus does here is really two things. He's really forgiving Peter for his denial of him a few weeks earlier, his failure. He's forgiving Peter's failure. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's a coincidence that Peter denied Jesus three times and then Jesus asks for Peter's love and allegiance three times. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in that conversation. But on a larger level, what Jesus is doing is he's now commissioning Peter for what's about to happen. Because in a very short time, Jesus will ascend into heaven and he needs a guy to take on the mission. He needs a front man for the movement, and it's Peter. So what he's saying is, hey, Peter, guess what? You're the guy. And really, you've always been the guy. That's why I've always had you so close. That's why I've always expected so much of you. That's why sometimes I'll get in your face big time, because I needed to see what you were made of. That's why I questioned your loyalty sometimes, because I, I need to see what you're made of. And I see, I see now what you're made of. Yeah, you failed, and you faltered, and and that's great, but it's a new day. It's a new chapter. Here's your second chance. Feed my sheep. Lead my church. Continue on in this movement that we've started here. And that's what happens. So as you look at Peter from then on, you read the first, I'm just going to give you a quick snapshot here of really the first few books of uh, the, or chapters, I'm sorry, of the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus leaves. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, after a huge movement of the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up and preaches a sermon, preaches the gospel. Peter, this failure, this brash dude, this overeager, you know, not ready for prime time kind of guy gets up and preaches, and and Luke, who writes this, records that 3,000 people came to faith in Christ that day. Peter, the failure, preached. 3,000 people committed their lives to Christ. Then in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John on their way to worship at the temple, and they see a lame man who's begging for alms, and they say, hey, we don't have any money, but here's what we do have. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And guess what? Peter, the failure, Peter, the brash one, Peter, the not yet ready for prime time guy, picks this guy up, and he's walking like he's never walked in his life before, completely healed and made whole. Then in Acts chapter 4, as he's preaching, they're arrested, basically, for what's just happened here in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are arrested. They're before this committee, and they preach to them. They preach to the people that have arrested them. How cool is that? So Peter's using his boldness here big time. He's putting his foot in the door big time. He begins to preach to his captors. And it says, as they were doing that, um, they basically say, hey, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter says, uh, nope, <laughs> you know, you're not going to stop me. I'm going to keep doing it because that's what Jesus told me to do. Feed my sheep. I'm fulfilling the mission of Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. You're, you're not going to stop me. He says, I'd rather obey God than man. And that's what I'm going to do. And then in chapter 5, we read, the power of God is so strong on Peter. It says that even when his shadow would cross someone who was sick, they would instantly be healed. It's amazing how God is using Peter, the failure, 
the one who let Jesus down, the one who was brash and overeager and not yet ready for prime time. God's using Peter. And again, chapter 5, he's arrested again. This time, they're beaten for disobeying the order, okay? They're beaten, and they are told, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. So guess what Peter does as soon as they're released? He keeps on preaching in the name of Jesus, and on and on it goes. Peter becomes a pillar, a great leader of the original first century church. That's Peter. He was forgiven. He was commissioned. So here's the question as as we begin to wrap it up today and bring it home into our world, into our lives. How was Peter able to overcome these deficits in his life, in his character? How was he able to overcome these weaknesses? What was his secret? What was Peter's secret sauce? What was the key to his overall success in the end? The key to his success as a disciple is the same key to our success as we follow Jesus. And that is simply two things. We have to harness strengths and strengthen weaknesses. If we want to be successful in our pursuit of following Jesus, of being his disciples, we have to harness our strengths and strengthen our weaknesses. That's the key. That was Peter's key. That was his secret. So Peter here, we see he didn't let his failure define him. He strengthened that weakness. Instead, he walked in the forgiveness that Jesus offered him. He chose to walk in that forgiveness. It's why he was able in Acts chapter 2 to preach in front of this huge crowd. If Peter was not able to strengthen his weakness, if he was not able to get over his epic failure, if he was not able to harness the forgiveness that Christ himself gave to him, he never would have gotten up and preached in Acts chapter 2. He never would have been the leader that the church needed. It was essential that he harness his strengths and strengthen his weaknesses. The reason that Peter didn't give up and give in to pressure and give in to the threats. Don't preach Jesus or else. He didn't give up. Why? Because he harnessed his strength. He needed the boldness he always had, and now he channeled it. He focused it in laser-like while also strengthening his weakness. His brashness had been a weakness, but in this case, to do the work that Christ had planned for him, he needed an edge. He needed a bit of a stubborn streak before it got him in trouble. But as he learned through the power and wisdom and strength and guidance of the Holy Spirit, as he learned to harness that weakness, that's what propelled him forward. That's what saved this fledgling movement was that he he worked on the weaknesses. He strengthened them as he harnessed and focused in on his strengths. That was Peter's secret, and it's our secret. It's our path to success as we follow Jesus. So let me ask you, what are your strengths? What are the things that you're great at? What are those attributes about yourself that others aspire to? How can you harness those to follow Jesus better? How can you harness those strengths, those positives in you for the sake of the gospel? Maybe you're a people person. Well, don't just be a people person just to be nice and friendly, but maybe you're an influencer. How can you harness being a people person? How can you harness that ability to influence people 
and mobilize them for the sake of the gospel? How can you make that a positive force for not just yourself as you grow in your faith, but make it a positive for others to help them find and follow Jesus? Maybe you're a creative person. Maybe you're an artistic person. How can you leverage that? How can you strengthen that? How can you harness that for the cause of the gospel? How can you use that strength for Jesus? And then here's a more personal question, maybe a harder one to answer, to wrestle with. This week, here's what I want us to do. Look at those strengths. How can you harness them? But also, what's a weakness that you might have? Where's an area that you struggle in? How can you allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen that weakness to make you a better follower of Jesus, a more committed, a more faithful follower of Jesus? How can you turn your weakness into something that God can use to help others find and follow Jesus? You know, maybe in school uh, you got in trouble for talking too much or being too friendly. Use that. Uh, what maybe be perceived or had been perceived as a weakness, use that for good. Use that to influence and impact people for the gospel, with the gospel. You know, maybe you, you look at your faith and it's maybe weak. Maybe you're a new Christian, you're trying to grow, but it's hard. Maybe the season that we're in right now, you find instead of strengthening your faith, your faith is weakening. It's getting depleted. You're, you're, running out of, you're running on fumes. You're running out of energy. Right now, we have an amazing opportunity because we have more time than ever. We have more downtime, more quiet time, more even, even when you're, I know, you're with the kids a lot. I am too. We're in the same boat. Things are crazy. Schedules are off. There's a lot of worry and fear. We still, if we're honest, we have more time than we used to have. We're not going there, doing this, doing that, Okay. We have time. Use that time to strengthen your faith. Find tools to strengthen your faith. Find resources in this time to strengthen your faith if it's weak. And if you have questions, ask me. Email me, Stephen at FirstCenturyKC.com. Hey, what do you recommend uh, as a resource? What's a great Bible study? You know, what's a good translation of the Bible to read? What are some good videos I can watch? What are some good podcasts I can listen to? What are some good sermons you recommend? There's more time now than ever to strengthen our faith. If it's weak, use this opportunity right now to strengthen your faith. Here's a very simple one as we close. Maybe you're bad with technology. Can I tell you, if technology wasn't important before, six, eight weeks ago, it is pretty much essential now, okay? Uh, and I hate this term. I don't hate it, but it's being overused, new normal, the use of technology to a higher degree is the new normal. So it's going to be important on a practical level that we maybe learn how to use more technology. I know I'm trying to do that myself, trying to figure out different ways to connect, to stay connected, different ways as a church that we can stay connected with, with our people, with our community, with people at large. It takes that technology. So if that's a weakness for you, you know, Google some stuff or watch some YouTube videos or ask some people who are tech savvy things you need to know to stay connected, uh, to stay knowledgeable, to stay up to date uh, with the church, with society, with your neighbors and family and friends, uh, with current events. Find ways to strengthen those weaknesses. You see, we're a lot like Peter. Whether we realize it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we admit it or not, we're a lot like Peter. Within all of us is some good and some bad. 
There's some positives in all of us, and there's some negatives in all of us. There's some strengths that we all have, and there's some weaknesses that we all have. It's just part of who we are. It's part of the human condition. It's part of the fall. There's some positive, some negative, some good, some bad, some strengths, some weaknesses. So if we want to succeed as Peter did in following Jesus, as we want to grow closer to Jesus, as we want to become more like him, the secret is really not a secret. It is to use our strengths for God's glory and then give our strengths, give our weaknesses rather, over to God so that he can strengthen them and leverage them to mature us and help us to grow in our faith so we can be more effective followers of Jesus, more faithful followers of Jesus, more passionate followers of Jesus, and like Peter, more powerful followers of Jesus than ever before and that we ever even thought was possible. We can do it as we strengthen weaknesses through the power of the Holy Spirit and use our strengths to go further than ever before in our journey of faith. Let's pray. God, we come before you today, and that is simply our prayer. God, would you help us to leverage our strengths to harness them, to focus them in for specific God-given purpose, a higher purpose. Not just to have strengths to have them, not to use our strengths for our own benefit only, but that our strengths, would, we would see them in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual light. As you told Peter, hey, you need to see things from God's perspective, not just your own. Help that to be our, our goal. We would harness our strengths for a higher purpose, a more noble cause, to strengthen our faith, yes, but also to help others to find and follow Jesus. How can I use what I'm gifted at, what I'm passionate about to help others in their journey of faith as well? And God, we give you our weaknesses. We give you our faults. We give you our failures. We give you our shortcomings. We give you every weakness we have. We acknowledge it and we lay it at your feet. And our prayer is, our cry is, our hope is, God, would you take my failure and make something wonderful from it? Would you help me to grow in certain areas of weakness that I have? Would you strengthen me where I'm susceptible in these areas? Whether it's a simple thing like technology, help us to grow in that area, to stay more connected, to help in new ways to be disciples, to help in new ways to be people who will share your gospel in every medium we can. Maybe it is an attitude or it's something else that we need adjusted. Whatever the weaknesses are that we have, God, we give them to you and we pray that by the power of of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to strengthen them. You would help us to grow in those areas of weakness, that we can become better disciples than ever, more faithful followers of Jesus than ever, more committed to your cause than ever, used more powerfully than we could ever begin to imagine, because I'm going to leverage my strengths, and I'm going to help, I'm going to let you help me strengthen my weaknesses for your glory and your honor to help me grow as a disciple and to help others to find and follow Jesus themselves. And I thank you that you're going to use all of us in your way and in your time and by your power in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thanks once again for joining us. I'm so glad that you made it all the way to your computer screen or your phone or your TV, wherever you are. But seriously, thanks for joining us. It is an honor to have you with us each and every weekend at First Century Church Online. And I hope that you have a great week. Again, think about your strengths, think about your weaknesses, and ask, God, how can you help me to leverage those and use those to be a better follower of Jesus than ever? And I hope to see you again next weekend as we continue this series 12. God bless you. Have a great week.